0: Well, good morning. My name is Ben. I am so glad that you're with us today. We're going to be in just a moment continuing our message series called Rooted, where we're looking at the ancient streams of the Christian faith and how we today can learn from them. But right now, I'm very excited to introduce to you the baddest Uh, This is Matt and Lauren and our own outreach pastor, Lisa, right here, and we want to talk with you about how this church is rallying with churches all over the country, in fact all over the world today, celebrating um, the fact that God is at work in defending the fatherless. It's called Orphan Sunday. I don't know if you know that's a movement or not, but it is, and this church for years has been involved with the plight of the fatherless, the widow, and those in need, and specifically our heart rallies around kids. So this is Pastor Lisa, and she's been leading the charge for us on this as a church and rallying our efforts and uh, letting God speak into this community through her. So Lisa, tell us uh, what we're doing today and why these folks are on the stage with us.
1: Yeah, well, I'm really excited for you guys to hear the baddest story. Um, and that began a long time before they decided to adopt. So they have a very, very cute little boy that's back in the bumblebee room that I love spending time <laughs> with. Um, And his name is Brantley. And just as I met them and heard their story, I was like, you have to share this because God's hand is just all over this story and it's just undeniable. So just share a little bit about, um, how your journey began. Um, and like we said, it began before you guys decided, Hey, we're going to, you know, pursue adoption. Um, it began with you guys kind of stepping out and taking that next bold step that Matthew was talking about.
2: Yeah. So, uh, at the time we were going to Life Point Church, which merged with four c as a lot of people know so um we had been going there maybe a year, something around that time, and uh about the same time that one of the marriage groups came up, we kind of realized that we were having some issues with infertility, so not really related but kind of related mm-hmm. um so we we attended a love and respect um small group, and uh met another couple there. No idea the role they were going to play down the road uh, it was a little
3: ad- uncomfortable for <laughs> us to get started in a group. Yeah. I think we were just a little nervous about sharing yeah. the details of our marriage, maybe right. with yeah. other people, but it was good
2: so yeah, so we jumped in, we did it. It was good after the fact that it was painful uh, that's odd it was, that's okay. <laughs> it was it was a little painful at first, but it was you know it was a good. We started forming relationships with um, families there and so we met Tim and debbie who. Played an instrumental role in our adoption. So. Yeah.
3: yeah. Years later, years later. So, this is like five years before we met Brantley, this couple that was in our group. We had no idea at the time, but being part of that group was a huge part of how we were going to meet our son like five years later. So,
1: yeah, you explained to me when I spoke with you how, you know, you know that God saw the end when it was just beginning and how he introduced you to Debbie. And you had um, a a certain period of time, 48 hours, I believe, Mm -hmm. that just um, was crazy. So do you want to explain that? That's just the really crazy, incredible part of your story.
3: Yeah, so fast forward from that group, a few years later we were in the midst of fertility treatments and... um, Andy had asked us to, in, to be interviewed to explain how we were still find, finding hope in the midst of kind of a difficult... So you were being interviewed
1: on stage yeah, yeah. at LifePoint, which is the church that merged here.
3: Yeah, and he, um, he asked if he could share a story on Facebook, so then it got shared on Facebook, and we shared it. And then Debbie, this lady we'd been in a group with years before, contacted us and said, Hey, I just heard about what you guys are going through would you guys be interested in adoption? And if so, I have a mom here in my house right now who has a five-month-old baby, and she would like him to be adopted. Um, so this was yeah, Sunday, this was it got day. shared, and then the very next day, she emailed us and asked if we wanted to adopt a little boy. So wow. I um, told the girls at work that I need to leave early, and <laughs> Matt came and got me, and we <laughs> drove up to the McDonald's up in Monroe McDonald's. to meet. <laughs> normal. This, yeah, normal. Place so normal this place to baby, meet to change your lives, yeah, right? And, uh, we um, didn't know that she was very quickly going to say, hey, I'm ready to do this today. And if you guys are ready to take him today, you can have him today. So just to be clear, we got a lawyer real quick. And,
2: um, <laughs> so we were on we, the news. You um, didn't just so take the baby the and go home. Yeah, <laughs> on the news. Okay, no.
1: Um, and but you, so you took him... With you, you went into this yeah. meeting at McDonald's just thinking you were going to meet, meet this, this mother, yeah. right. see the baby, and then and talk then, about yeah. you know where yeah. God was leading you next. Right, probably. like a normal, life. yeah. But instead, you guys yeah. just jumped yeah. headfirst. You know, into I what think God our, was calling you to yeah. do. Our yeah. first
3: thought, I remember asking, saying, you know, we don't have a crib or a, a car seat, and she was like, well, you could just have this car seat here. And my expectation for what I th- thought I needed to be a good parent or an adult mom or however was very different than what god expected and needed he just needed us to have an open heart and then he provided and that was a, a huge part of being involved with life point being you know in groups and serving was that we knew all these families who very quickly just came and dropped things on our front porch and filled up our living room with clothes and food and all kinds of things so uh,
0: can i can i ask yeah. a question so so I'm, I'm listening to your story and You know, God set up this providential relationship five years earlier. And so I I just want to acknowledge, you were ready to join a group, but it was awkward. You built relationships. You were vulnerable, which is awkward, but you did it. You opened your heart up in that way. You guys are struggling with this uh, infertility issue in your marriage. I'm certain you're praying about it. You're talking honestly about it, trying to keep hope alive in the middle of that. And then, boom, Mm -hmm. God opens up a door for you. It's just incredible to me the power of other people in our lives. Uh, bringing the presence of God into our lives. Right. Um, sometimes, sometimes the presence of God is best revealed to us through the presence of other people. And you guys made yourselves available, and then, man, how God moved quickly. Yeah. So anyway, I just yeah. that's just yeah. cool.
1: That's amazing. And then, so now, let's fast forward to now. You okay. guys are also um, fostering yes. kids. Yep. Yeah. And how's that going?
3: Great. I mean, yeah, there there are bumps and snags, but it's good overall. Yeah. We have great support here and with friends and family. So. We're just glad to be a part of it
1: yeah that's great so um, if there's folks in the audience that want to hear more about your story that their heart's stirring a little bit and they're feeling God wants them to step out into something but not sure what maybe it's to come alongside a couple who's trying to adopt or in foster care or maybe it's to adopt or foster themselves what would be the next step for folks to take here
3: we are going to be out in the lobby today at a booth so feel free to come by and talk to us we'll talk about anything um and then there is a sign-up sheet for just an informational session we have in another couple weeks just to just talk about adoption foster care whatever you think might be a good fit for you
1: well that'll be great
3: yeah well can you guys thank join me and thank yeah. the us for leading
1: thank the charge here at Four yeah. yeah. this? thank
0: you that's awesome
1: All right. And um, as you saw there, um, God does live out his truth to defend the cause of the fatherless. But he does it often what I see is through his people. He does. And in their story, you know, that was written all throughout that story. It's just people that stepped out, people that God brought in their lives um, to come alongside of them and to make this. Lisa, it's true. We
0: often experience the presence of God the strongest in the presence of other people. It's one of the gifts that I think uh, Jesus gave to this world in giving us the church. And this church has had a history of seeing God do the same thing. We come together, God does big stuff, and there's some big stuff happening today and through, through Christmas, yeah. as we ramp up for God's heart around the Fathers. Why don't you tell us yeah, about that? Yeah, we just
1: want to take a few minutes to focus a little bit on global orphan care and how 4C is involved in that and what opportunities there are for you guys here to be a part of that too. Um, if you're new around here, you may not have heard yet about what we call 4C India. Um, it's an orphanage and church planning ministry that we partner with. Um, Pastor James and his wife Sarah have given their lives to care for Um, Right now, about 43 girls. Um, We've come alongside of them. We've built an orphanage, a water well, um, through child sponsorship. Many of you sponsor these girls. You pray for them regularly. You give. You send gifts. Um, and their lives are being transformed, and they're being restored through what they're experiencing with Pastor James, learning about God and the plans that he has for them for the very first time. So um, just to share a little bit of that story, I have a picture um, here of one little girl that I want to share. Um, her name is Priya. Uh, she has a couple sponsors here, a family that sponsors her, and they call her Princess Priya. But just to kind of share a little bit of her story of rescue and redemption, um, Priya lives—you know lived a life far from the life of a princess. If you guys have seen Slumdog Millionaire, that was pretty much Priya's life. Her family was nomadic people. Um, she didn't have a father. Her mother abandoned her, and she literally went um, throughout the city collecting garbage to die. Dumps to collect garbage that she could trade for food or sell to feed herself for that day. So Pastor James and the missionaries go out and serve. Um, these people often and share the gospel with them. And through that process, they came across Priya and realized that what was next for her was probably a life of being trafficked and even worse than what she was experiencing there. Um, She has only been in the home um, probably about six months. And because Pastor James knew that, okay, I communicate with him often. Um, we had all of the girls sponsored in one Sunday here when there was 35 girls. But I had some people that were like, oh, you know, there's no more girls left to sponsor. I want to be a sponsor in the future. So Pastor James knew that I had a handful of people that were waiting in the wings. So when he came across Priya and girls like that, he can take them in knowing that their basic needs would be cared for and he wouldn't have to go out and find any more income. So let's, let's talk
0: about what a sponsorship here actually covers because in this congregation, many of them in the room today, they are taking a girl or two, and they're giving $40 a month um, to make sure that these girls have their basic needs met. What, what are those basic right. needs? Right,
1: and it's food. It's their educational expenses. They have to ride public transportation to get to school. Um, and it's any kind of health care things that might come up. Um, you know, so it's their basic clothing. They really don't. They have a couple outfits. They really don't go out and buy clothes like we do here. So it's just really their basic, basic needs. So when we um, joined with him, instead of just getting rice and beans, they're able to get meat a couple times a week. And and so you know, it's things like that. So it's
0: just bare minimum, really, what we call bare minimum yeah. living. This is not extravagance. Right. And without this, this girl would literally be disposed of yeah. a, on the street.
1: Yeah. And, and so really, again, that just shows us that God is defending the cause of the fatherless. But he's doing it here with Four Corners and the people sitting in these seats that he's raising up an army of believers that are ready to also co-labor with him in redeeming these girls and restoring their lives and showing them that they they can live out that plan and that purpose. You know,
0: I forget sometimes when we're here in life here. I'm in a small group on a Sunday morning that literally halfway around the world, there are a group of people that because of the ministry here that are fed, clothed, educated, rescued off the street, rescued from a life of sexual slavery for a lot of them. I mean, We hear about this in the news, but we're like, well, where does that happen? We know these girls and they're cared for. It gives me a much bigger picture and appreciation for the power of the local church and what people coming together can do. So why talk about it today? What's coming up?
1: Yeah, so um, with Orphan Sunday they, like um, Pastor Ben explained, it's a time when we together will um, take up the cause of the orphan, shine a light in dark places, and pray for these kids. Um, and decide, pray for ourselves. God, what will you have us do as a Christ follower? We are called as Christ followers to take up the cause of the orphan and the widow. So what can we do? You know, not everybody's called to adopt. Not everybody's called to foster. But we can pray. We can sponsor. We can come alongside of somebody that is called um, to foster. And so um, one of the exciting opportunities that I've learned about in the last um, three weeks um, that I couldn't wait to share with you guys (laughs) is um, when I was over in January, Pastor James and I just spent some time just in prayer and reflecting, like, What's next for us, God? How else do you want us to come alongside this place? Because what we've done so far, they've provided um, enough room, um, security, a water well, you know, stuff like that is being provided for. And, and so him and his wife, Sarah, have always had on their heart that they um, want to care for boys besides just the girls because they come across little boys in the same situation. But because they didn't have a certificate from the government to take in any boys, they have not been able to do it. So they've been trying to get certified for a while from the government to care for boys. And so recently in the last month, they've got that certification. So in that process, you know, I've been communicating back and forth with Pastor James. I'm like, okay, I'm not sure what the next steps are. He ended up um, praying and um praying all night. They stayed up all night. And on the other side of that, uh, property became available that they could rent. Um, It was very affordable. It was off campus, though. But one of his um, pastors in his network and his wife prayed and felt called to take up the cause of these boys. And so they had known um, and come across a lot of boys that the parents were either one of the parents were alive and said, please care for my child, and they couldn't, or they were in situations like Priya. So um, they have been able recently to rent a place and take in 10 young boys. They're, I think, mostly all in middle school and high school, um, and they're caring for them right now on faith. Um, he does things on faith, and he waits for God wow. to provide. So with Orphan Sunday coming up, this is the perfect time for us to kind of just give you guys the opportunity to step into these boys' lives. Um, it is only $40 a month, but if you're in the seat thinking, well, it's only $40 a month, I'll do that. That's, that's not what these kids need. They need somebody that is going to um, commit to praying for them on a regular basis. Yeah. To not just giving, but you know, encouraging them through letters, introducing them to, to, to God and to Jesus in new and fresh ways that they've never heard before. So that's what we have the opportunity to do today. Out in the lobby, we have um, 10 boys, and I actually have four more girls that just came onto campus in the last month. Um, So we have some opportunities for sponsorship and some great folks out there that are involved, that have been there, that have seen these kids, that can answer any questions that you
0: might have. So Lisa, today we're celebrating people who sponsor kids, who foster kids, who adopt kids. And in all of that, rallying around God's heart to defend the fatherless. there isn't anything God cares more about than kids. It's just—it's just true. Um, you look at the story in the scripture, and um, as Lisa said, this is not about offering or money, although that is the means by which we're going to do the thing we're talking about. If you would like to help, I would ask you at the end of this service, go out in the lobby and find out information. Um, If we don't help, the truth is there isn't a charity somewhere. The government's not stepping in. I mean, others, um, you know, may, but we don't know of that. I mean, there's no, you know, nothing on the horizon, but we are it. And um, we want to continue to expand this ministry. Right now, there's almost 40 girls. When we're done, there'll be just over 50 people who are being cared for. Pastor James and this team are expanding into caring for the widow as well. You're gonna hear about that over the next few weeks. I couldn't be more excited and proud of this church for the way we have rallied around our own kids, kids near to us, just in neighborhoods right around here and literally around the world. So. Somebody should be prepared then if they are feeling the tug of God to go out there and have a conversation. What's the experience outside going to look like? What will they literally see and hear right out in the Um, lobby?
1: Pictures of these kids, um, some information on how to quickly get involved in their lives and get them a letter quickly. I'll be going over in January, so a lot of the stuff I'll personally take. And um, when I go, I've been twice now, and every time this I go... This is in
0: southwest India, yeah, very Kerala. big country, Kerala. Yeah.
1: And every time I go, it's ev- the girls are just surrounding me. Tell me about this. They want to know about their sponsors. It's like, just tell me more, tell me more, tell me more. Show me pictures. Do you have pictures on your phone? And I don't have pictures of every sponsor on my phone. But so they, they love us. Um, Friday night, they were praying, um, Pastor James um, and his group of pastors stayed up all night praying for this mm. place. And for this day. And so I know there are people out there right now that God is stirring in your heart um, to adopt, to foster, to just even look into it. Not even necessarily commit to it. Um, To walking alongside of these kids and just committing to pray for them. Because there is nothing more powerful than prayer. So we can do that are going Yeah, we're going to pray
0: for uh, for this in just a second. But um, you have to know something about the lady that's leading this charge here. When we started this church 11 years ago, um, she was the one that came and said, I think kids' ministry can be better here. And for years, she led the charge, and God took that obedience she did and now has made her heart uh, expand literally around the world. And uh, Lisa, I just, I want to thank you for leading the charge for us here and giving us an opportunity to just be faithful to God's heart for kids. So here's what we're going to do. Yeah, that'd be, that's all right. That's a good thing to applaud for. Thank you for that. Um, Here's what I want to do. Now, this is going to feel a little awkward because we don't do a lot of calling people out in the room, right? So I want not going to do that. But if you are sponsoring a child um, who, if you didn't do it, their basic needs wouldn't be met. If you are um, fostering or considering fostering, if you have a recently adopted or really are wanting to adopt, what I would like you to do in just a moment when I say now, I'd like you to just stand up and we're going to pray for you. All right? So when I say now, are you ready? Here we go. Sponsoring, fostering, or, or adopting. Go ahead and stand up. We're just going to pray for you. All right? Go ahead. Yeah, that's all right. It's good. Now, before we pray, congregation, I want us to just let them know how much we appreciate their efforts. Yeah. Keep standing, please. So I'm going to invite everybody in the room. Just bow your heads with me. I'm going to lead us out in a prayer for these folks and for these kids. Heavenly Father, God, thank you for loving us, wayward children spiritually, loving us into your family, telling us that uh, even though there's ugliness and damage and sin in our life, you would love us anyway. And Father, thank you for these people in this congregation who are sponsoring, fostering, adopting. Their hearts are moving towards the fatherless. They want to defend that. They want to give hope a chance. God, thank you for them. Father, I pray your blessing in their life. I pray your anointing upon them as they give financially, as they give up their time and emotions, as they walk through incredibly difficult journeys, God. You would be with them, guiding, opening doors, giving great favor. Lord, increase the heart of this church for the fatherless and the widow. Make our religion true and pure. We pray it in the name of Jesus, the strong and holy Son of God. Amen and amen. Lisa, one more time, would you guys help me say thank you? Woo. Mm. Oh, this is good, this is good. Hey, today we're going to continue our Rooted Message series, and I want to talk for just a brief few moments about a gentleman that many of you have heard of. His name is John Wesley. John Wesley is the father of Methodism, and that's interesting, and there's some cool history here, but, but, but before long, we're going to dive into what we can learn about through him. So first, let me uh, tell you some preliminary boundaries as we do this Rooted Message series. See, while Four Corners Church is just 11 years old, our history goes all the way back to Matthew chapter 16, where Jesus said, I will build my church. So our first guiding principle is this, that the church belongs to Jesus, It doesn't belong to me, it doesn't belong to you, it doesn't belong to a denomination. The church belongs to Jesus, and he's the one who's building it. And we just get to be a part of it. It's a privilege to be a part of the Lord's church. The second guiding principle for us as we talk about all these streams is this. We're asking a basic question, what can we learn And our motto here is that we want to be a student, not a critic. And as we talk about these different streams, so far we've done Catholicism and Lutheranism. We looked at the Reformed or the Calvinistic stream of the Christian faith. There are things we could criticize, absolutely. Legitimately, there are things that we need to talk about, and there are differences that matter. But the whole point of this series is saying, what has God done there? What is God doing there? And what can we learn from it? And uh, I'm very excited to share with you the story today of John Wesley and the movement that was started through his life called Methodism. John Wesley was born 23 miles north of London and he was born one of 25 kids. Wow, wow, one man. One woman, 25 kids. They didn't all live. That was kind of normal back then. But um, he was the 15th child. And by that point, I'm not even sure anybody's even noticed anymore, right? He's the 15th child. But his family had some interesting things going on. His mother's name was Susanna, and she was an incredibly disciplined woman. And she would, over the years, teach her kids how to walk, talk, be potty trained. All the while, she was beginning early on teaching them to read. His father had an Oxford education and he was heavily involved in in the church. He was a churchman as well. So this is an incredibly informed, uh, certainly upper class family. And uh, they had high hopes for all of their children and all of their children did fairly well and wherever they went. But church was a normal part of life for them. And so John Wesley grew up in church and he generally enjoyed it. He doesn't have one of these stories where he walked away and hated it. In fact, it was just the way of life for him. Church stuff, church language, church routines, church people, that was just the way he lived his life. And by the time he was about 17 years old, he enrolled at Oxford himself, which is no slouch. You know, he's not, he's not a slouch in the, uh, in the intellectual department. He's, he's pretty well disciplined, very well read. He had incredible tutors all the way through. And in his mind, he would just stay with the Church of England and get a church somewhere and just do life. Very respectable, if you will. And so while he's in college, he meets a few people. He meets a gentleman by the name of George Whitfield, who if you know history at all, Whitfield would become a major mover and shaker of his own within the church life, both in England and then all the way over here in America as well. But what really begins to change his life, and this gets to the point of the baddest story and one of the things I want you to understand about what makes church life wonderful. What really began to change his life is that in 1729, he and his younger brother started a group called the Holy Club. He had a brother by the name of Charles. In fact, I think I have a picture of Charles Wesley. Gentlemen, do you have that picture? I'm a little bit out of order, but see if you can throw that up there. That's his brother, Charles Wesley. Now, John Wesley and Charles, leave that up for just a second. They started this Bible study called the Holy Club. And they would get together with other smart and bright people, but really it was just people they were doing life with. And they would talk about the things of God. And they would read a passage and they would say things like, does this passage speak to us? They would ask a couple basic questions. What did this passage mean years ago? And what are the implications for this passage today in our lives? And these men primarily begin to hold each other accountable just as students. And it began to change their lives and their church experience, their educational experience stopped being something that was just a part of their past or what they were doing. And it literally began to impact their hearts and minds. They were doing God stuff all over the place, but it was in the relationships that they were having that the God stuff was taking the deepest form in their lives and having the biggest impact. And you see in John and Charles Wesley's life something that's true and almost everybody in this room who would identify how did you grow spiritually? If I were to ask you, how did you grow spiritually? Almost everybody would say, to some degree, there were some relationships in my life and in that relationship, God used the dynamic of that relationship to change my life. So John and Charles Wesley were in this Bible study together and they would lead it back and forth and Whitfield would help. And then there came a moment when um, John Wesley decided he would go to America and he would bring the gospel of Jesus to America. And so he gets on a boat and he goes across the big pond and he lands in Georgia at the special invitation of a, of a gentleman by the name of Oglethorpe. And if you're from Georgia at all, the name Oglethorpe's a big deal, right? So he comes over and here was his, me- is his, his message. It was the Church of England it's a pretty good church. And the way we do church in England, in the Church of England, is the way we should do it in America. So he wanted to bring high church, lots of liturgy, formalized liturgy, to people living in America. Now, without me telling you a whole lot about it, how do you think that went? It didn't go well at all. While he was in America, he fell in love. And the girl he fell in love with wanted to marry, married somebody else. And by the way, the guy she married was suing John Wesley while she married him. He was miserable. So he gets back on a boat and it's a boat trip back, dejected, frustrated, had stepped out in faith, had these relationship conversations that should have moved him and changed him. And they did, but he, now he's putting it into practice and he's feeling completely overwhelmed, dejected. and He's on a boat ride. And on this boat ride back to England, there's a storm, an ugly storm, breaks the mast of the boat. And all the people Wesley's traveling with, they're scared to death. They're going to die. They just know they're going to die, except for one little group of people over in the corner of the boat. And they're singing gospel hymns, quoting scripture to one another. And they have peace. And Wesley is, and his friends are terrified. So he goes over and starts talking to them. And he's like, what's going on? And he discovers that there's something about their faith that was different than his. His at this point is largely in his head, beginning to impact his heart, but it hasn't filtered out into all the areas of his life yet. But that encounter causes him when he finally lands safe back in London to pursue a different way of doing relationship with God. And on May twenty-four, 729, Wesley walks into a meeting on Aldersgate Street, a prayer meeting, the kind of prayer meeting that the people on the boat were having. And I want to read for you what he writes in his journals, that these words will forever change the world. And that evening, Wesley writes, I went very unwillingly to a society in Aldersgate Street, where one of the people attending was reading Luther's preface to the epistle to the Romans. So they're going to do some serious study at this Bible study. About a quarter before nine, while he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust Christ, Christ alone for my salvation. And an assurance was given to me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. And this became Wesley's moment. When all the experience that he had had Good, bad, incredible education, a lifestyle of church life. All of that experience became meaningful to him in that moment in a way that it had never been before. All the stuff he knew about Jesus became real to him in that moment in a way that had never been real before. And this would literally change his life. And Wesley, from that moment forward, begins to do things differently. Holding on to all the good of his tradition all the good of his experience, all the good his parents had hoped for him. But now it's no longer the information I learn in a classroom. It's no longer the tradition I'm carrying from my religious heritage. It's no longer the vocation I'm doing. Now he has a call on his life and a purpose that's being lit aflame by something deep going on in his heart. And he sits down with his buddy, George Whitfield, An incredible speaker and preacher and says, how are we going to make it different than it's been up to this point? And they did something incredibly profound. They decided that they would take the message of Jesus out of the high church. Literally, they would go outside into the fields and they would preach to people who wouldn't come to church. And so here were these incredibly well-educated, Oxford-educated men standing in the middle of the field, sometimes with 10 people. By the time the movement gets rolling, there's seven, eight, 10,000 people at a time gathering in a field, no lights, no sound equipment. And these men are preaching the gospel. And they literally took the message of Jesus outside the four walls and started a movement. A movement that is still continuing to this day, but it doesn't take very long for the movement to catch. It catches in a gentleman by the name of Francis Asbury, and I have his picture here. Francis Asbury began to attend um, the Methodist uh, engagements, the the Bible studies, and he is commissioned as as a bishop in the Methodist church. And he's sent to America to share in the streets, in the fields, in the woods, the story of Jesus and how that the gospel is available to every single person. And he travels 1 million miles on horseback through Ohio, Kentucky, the Virginias, Tennessee. He's incredible. It's incredible what this man does. And in fact, to study because he was either studying, sleeping or preaching on his horse, he's often reading his Bible and the horse is just walking. Wherever the horse stops, he'd get off and he'd preach and crowds would come. It's an an incredible story. All he did was say, we know the message already. Let's get the message out. One of his other buddies, we've already referenced him today. You may not even know it, but one of his other buddies was a gentleman by the name of John Newton. Look at this guy up here, John Newton. Do we have this picture? No, it's a cute picture, isn't it? By the way, I love his hair. Kind of Princess Leia thing going on there on the sides. It's kind of cool. Here's what you know about John Newton. You, you may not know that you know it. He wrote a song that we, just, that we sang today, Amazing Grace. John Newton was a slave trader. He'd grown up in church. He was just doing, at that point, honorable business. And God gripped his heart, and he knew two things. Near his deathbed, not his final word, just often said it was, but it wasn't. But near his final words were the words that we have up here. When I was young, I was sure of a lot of things, but I'm old now. Here's what I know. I'm an incredible sinner. My sin is great, and grace is amazing. And he wrote that song, and we're still singing it today. Because in part of his connection with John Wesley and the movement that was started there. But it doesn't just stop there. The message of Jesus carried outside the doors of the church impacted a gentleman by the name of William Wilberforce, who was in the government. And I have William Wilberforce. We're going to leave this one up for a while. William Wilberforce was so impacted by the power of God in his life that he leveraged everything he had and literally turned England upside down. And the movement he began impacted our own country in dramatic ways. This is the gentleman responsible for getting rid of slavery in England. And he did it because of his profound faith in Jesus. The message of the gospel impacted him so deeply that he began to see just what a great price God had given to humanity. And he began to contemplate, what does it mean that God would send his one and only son? What, how should that change the world? And he believed that in his day, one of the ways it should change the world is slavery should be eradicated from the kingdom of England from that empire. And he began to work and leverage everything. And one of the things he did is he began to tell stories of the atrocities of slavery. And out of that, when he would get done speaking, he would often say these words. Now that you've heard the story, you may choose to look the other way, but you can never say again, you did not know. You can act like you don't know what's going on around you, but as of this moment, it wouldn't be valid. People begin to hear him and laws were changed and slavery goes away. And that movement makes its way to the United States that ultimately leads to our own civil war, at least in part, and begins to change everything. But there's somebody else that you're going to meet here in just a second who was impacted by Wesley's movement of getting the message of the gospel out into the streets. Throw up the picture of William Booth right here. Don't you love the beard? I love this. Now, this is one of the few guys we actually have a picture of because we're talking a few years later. This is the guy that started a movement that now we we know about them because they ring the bell outside of Target and Walmart, Salvation Army. This guy started it, he and his wife. And they were deep followers of Wesley, and um, they decided that the message of Jesus needed to be out on the streets and that it was hard for people to hear the gospel if they couldn't eat. This simple message of the gospel understood, embraced, not just a tradition we walk in, but in moving and breathing through our lives. And they started the Salvation Army because they wanted the message of Jesus to be able to be received freely through people who were well-fed and had clothing so that they then could have a pause in their life to reflect on the greatness and goodness of God in their lives and the gospel spread around the world. Well, I wanted to give you this quick snapshot of some of the ways Wesley impacted the world because I wanted us to ask a basic question today in our final few moments. What was it about Wesley that made the message he preached, the same message that others preached, take such immediate hold on people? What was it about him? What was it about the way he did life? Here's here's what I think we can begin to learn from the Wesleys, Charles and his brother. By the way, his brother, Uh, John and Charles, his brother, um, Charles was the songwriter. And so he wrote a song that many of you who've grown up in church know, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. He was a songwriter and he, in one of his contemplations, he said, I wish I had a thousand tongues, a thousand mouths to sing at the same time. Maybe then I could begin to grab hold of how awesome and great God is and proclaim it to the world. Another song that Charles wrote was Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And we sing those songs uh, even, even today. What was it about their lives? Here's the phrase I want us to rally around for a few minutes. The idea here was full engagement, full engagement. Personally, in your own heart and life and in the community and the relationships in which you have, full engagement. See, people in that day, in Wesley's day and following had this tendency. They had a church self and then they had everything else. They had a spiritual side, and then they had everything else. And those lines often were pretty well defined. And when Charles Wesley would sing and John Wesley would preach and these other guys in there would would speak, they were speaking from a holistic sense that full engagement of my life in the cause of Christ was where it was at. That Jesus wasn't asking for too much from us when he said, all of your life given over to all that I want for you. Now, John Wesley didn't make this up. He's talking to his church leaders, this movement that starts as Bible studies and they have a particular method. That's why it's called Methodism about the way they do it. They have a particular method. And so the first time the word Methodism is used, it's really used as a slam. Oh, you're gonna follow that method over there and it sticks, right? It's kind of like the word Christian. The first time it's used, little Christ's is what the word means. And it's used in a derogatory fashion, but it sticks. We'll accept that all day long. We're supposed to be in the image of Christ, our leader. Well, Wesley is just simply following with these young leaders that are developing these Bible studies, what Paul instructed Timothy to do. So in 1 Timothy chapter four, this was a guiding passage for Wesley. And I think it still speaks to us today. So here's how Paul spoke to this young pastor, this young church leader who wanted his life to count. He said, for to this end, we toil and strive. Because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the savior of all people, especially of those who believe. So God's available to all. The ones who believe can grab hold of it. And and, and Wesley's trying to get people to, to believe it fully, all the way, full engagement. Take every bit of this. Paul continues to write. So he says to Timothy this, command and teach these things. Don't let anybody look down on you because you're young. A lot of these leaders were young. It breaks my heart when a church prematurely ages and people in their 20s and 30s think that they don't have anything to offer. Methodism, in fact, most of these movements were carried on the backs of 30-somethings, financed by people in their 40s, 50s, and 60s, but the energy and the vitality, 20s and 30-somethings carrying the message. And here's Paul telling Timothy, Timothy, just because you're young, don't give in. Don't let anybody look down on you. Your whole life fully engaged. Don't give it to temporary pursuits. Give to something that matters eternally. Don't waste your 20s on yourself. Make it count now. He says, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers um, an example. And how, what kind of an example? In the way you talk, in the way you conduct yourself, in the way you love, in your faith, in your purity. Even when you're young. Don't buy the lie that your youth is for you and someday you'll get serious about God. Full engagement now. Don't, I'm sorry, verse 13. Until I come, devote yourselves to the public reading of scripture. That's what we're doing right now. To exhortation, talking about the scripture and to teaching. These were the methods Wesley was employing. Do not neglect the gift you have which was given to you by prophecy when a council of elders laid their hands on you. Timothy was literally put in the middle of a circle. People put their hands on him and prayed for him as he was commissioned for ministry. And, and the, the ways God had empowered him were called out. Some of you have gifts and abilities that God has at various times in your spiritual journey called up in you. Paul's words to Timothy are applicable to us. Don't neglect those gifts. However you discovered them, don't neglect them. They're there for a reason, for your good and for the benefit of the world, but it's gonna take full engagement. Practice these things. Immerse yourselves in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching, persist in this. For by so doing, you will save both yourselves and the hearers. Who listened to you. Here's some of the questions when these Methodists would get together. They would talk about. When they would get in small group. This is how they would go at it directly. To be fully engaged. We won't spend time on these. I just want to read them to you. All right. They had 21 questions. We'll do these very quickly. So they'd get together to do Bible study. They were all wanting to be fully engaged. They knew that it was difficult to stay fully engaged. So here's what they would ask. Number one. Am I consciously or unconsciously creating the impression that I'm better than I really am? In other words, am I a hypocrite? Do I confidently pass on to others what's been said to me in confidence? Am I a gossip is what they're saying there. Can I be trusted? Every week they would do these questions. Am I a slave to my dress, to my friends, to my work or my habits? And that would be an interesting thing to do. It's a good thing they didn't have Facebook. Am I self-conscious, self-pitying or self-justifying? Did the Bible number six live in me today? Do I give the Bible time to speak to me every day? Am I enjoying prayer? Now that's a great question. Not did I pray, am I enjoying prayer? When did I last speak to somebody else about my faith? Do I pray about the money I spend? That would be meddling if I stopped here for any length of time to comment at all. Do I go to bed on time and get up on time? Did I, do I disobey God in anything? Do I insist upon something about which my conscience is uneasy? Am I defeated in any part of my life? Am I jealous and pure, critical, irritable, touchy, or distrustful? How do I spend my spare time? Am I proud? Do I thank God that I'm not like other people, especially like Pharisees who despise the publican? That's a Bible story. You know, church people who despise non-church people. Is there anyone whom I fear, dislike, disown, criticize, hold resentment toward her in disregard? If so, what am I doing about it? Do I grumble or complain constantly? Is Christ real to me? And week in, week out, they'd ask these questions and with bitter honesty, they would say, no part of my life unturned to the work of God in me. Not one part of my life is sacred. It would be ludicrous, they would say, to give Jesus my soul and hold on to parts of my life. And this kind of conversation led them to full Here was their word, surrender, full surrender to the work of God in their lives. It's incredible what God did in and through them as they gave themselves over to full surrender. I don't think we have to go much further to start asking, what can we learn from Wesley and his followers? They would get together and each one said, I'm going to give myself fully. And when each one did that, and then they came together in partnership around incredible goals like slavery in England, like the plight of the poor, orphanages and hospitals began to spring up led by church people who said the cause of Jesus requires us to give ourselves fully to things that matter. Temporary pursuits have temporary value. Eternal pursuits have eternal value. Between the two, we land on the side of things that matter for eternity. It's incredible because they had known about church life in a way that they realized it's real easy to segment it out, to put that on Sunday and everything else Monday through Saturday. But what if there were a group of people who would partner together and say, my whole life, every single day, all that I am leveraged for the cause of Jesus in my life and through my life. What would that look like? Now that is the legacy of Wesley. That's what brings change. That's what takes a generation today that might be stuck in patterns of generations past. And make sure that the next generation isn't stuck in the same type of pattern from the past. When that family, when that man, when that woman says, I understand where I've come from and what it was like. That's my experience. But today, full devotion in Jesus is going to change the future for me and for others. And they were undeterred by what they saw around them. It didn't discourage them. It seemed to motivate them they actually believed that the resurrected Jesus gave them power in their daily lives to engage every single problem they saw. And they grabbed hold of that in a way that is elusive to most folks. They would read the word of God and they believed that God's word was meant to speak to them, illuminate them, guide them, correct them. And with willing hearts, they laid down pride, and they said, our lives can matter in ways that we haven't seen others do. And whereas Luther and Calvin were a wholesale almost revolt against tradition, Wesley comes to it as a guy inside of the tradition and says, I don't really want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. I just want to make sure that all that is available through Jesus we're taking full advantage of. Wesley, to his dying day, was a member of the Church of England but he radically changed Europe. And his message of taking the gospel to the streets, to the woods, to the fields, to the farmer, to the uneducated, radically changed, not just England, but America as well. just a few miles from us, it's a couple hours down the road on I-75 is a school called Asbury Seminary, named after Francis Asbury, this circuit riding, horseback riding, studier and preacher. All over the United States, there are Methodist schools and hospitals and orphanages because a few people got together and said, I think if we will give ourselves fully over to God individually, God might want to do something powerful through our lives. I wonder what would happen if just one man and his wife, one woman and her husband, for instance, just two people were to get together and said, everything comes second to the cause of God in our lives and in this marriage, I wonder what impact it would have on a family. These are things I lay, about it, uh, I lay awake at night thinking about. I wonder what would happen if a, if a couple in their 20s and 30s were to say, we have vitality, we have opportunity, we have vision, and we're gonna make our lives count for the cause of Jesus, not the stuff that society says is important. I mean, what if Newton had said, you know, right now it's an honorable living to be a slave trader. Now He could have done that. That would have been natural. But he said, I know there's more to this. How did he come to that conclusion? Full engagement in the work of God in his life. They took things like prayer seriously, Bible reading seriously. And they got together and did it. When you think about Wesley. And the impact that he made, I want you to think about the way that he said, I have all these experiences, all these traditions, and they're somehow out here. But it was in that moment that his heart was strangely warmed, that all that other stuff took meaning, and he found purpose in his life. And he gave himself over fully. He took even the tragedies, the disappointment of ministries in his life where he wanted to go down and show everybody else how to do church right. He took even that and he said, what if the message of Jesus is the thing I lead out with, not the way I think it should be done? God took that and changed the world. And I don't think it's a stretch for me to say to you that God will take the exact same surrendered heart in you and change your world. And who knows, he may literally change the world in it. When I think about what I want for our church. I would love to think, that there is a core group of people at our church. It won't be everybody. In fact, if it were everybody, then that means somehow we've closed the front door and no new people are joining us. But what if we did some of the things Wesley did and we got serious about our relationship with Jesus in ways that up to this point, we haven't been able to find the time to do. And we cut out some of the other stuff that really don't matter. And we gave Jesus the time that matters. And what if when it came to things like our money, our first question was, God, how do you want me to honor you with the stuff you've blessed me with? Some of us don't honor God with our money because we're ignorant. We don't know what God asks. Some of us don't because we've never been asked to do it. So there's, there's some valid reasons. Some of us are upside down financially and we don't know how to get from where we are to there. All that's understandable and there's grace. But Wesley would say there's a group of us who just honestly are walking in flat disobedience And yet we're asking God to bless us, but we're walking in disobedience to what we could be doing. That would be an example of not giving our lives over fully. Or we have Bibles laying in our homes that are getting dusty. And in our life, we have Bibles on our phone apps, but we can't seem to find 15 minutes a day to engage it. Let me tell you why God gave Facebook to the world. I'm gonna tell you. God gave Facebook to the world to get rid of any excuse that you were telling yourself that you don't have time to spend 15 minutes a day in the word of God. That's why God gave us Facebook. That's why God gave us fantasy football. I can't talk to my friends about stuff. God gave us fantasy football so the guys could get together and get rid of the excuse saying, I don't know how to talk to other men about stuff that I'm interested in. That's why God gave us fantasy football so that you don't have an excuse and I don't have an excuse. Now, the whole reason we don't do money, scripture, community, church, well, Wesley would say, this is not Pastor Ben. If you get mad at me, send Wesley the email, all right? JohnWesley at Heaven.com, all right? (laughs) The whole problem, Wesley would say, is none of that stuff. It's full devotion to God with your life. See what he'll do with it. I get pretty excited talking about that. I get pretty excited about God working in people's lives to change the world. I am stoked about what God's going to do through this church in the life of the orphan. I'm stoked to see how God will take a handful of people. They'll say, I'll do it. I'm stoked this week to pray for those of you that are stepping out into foster care and adoption. It is hard. It's a hard road. But I'm looking forward to the day when somebody else's child calls you mom or dad. And you've created this environment where they're gonna be loved. You demonstrated the heart of your heavenly father in this broken, broken world. And you'll never, 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 never regret giving yourself wholly over to the work of God in your life. And sometimes I think we just need to pause and remember that what God did in people like Wesley and Whitfield, Newton and Wilberforce, he would do in our lives just as much if we give ourselves over fully to him. So grab out your connect card and let's see if we can't take a step or two together. Uh, I'm a history guy. I hope you can see that, but I want you to know this is not just history for us. This is our heritage. This is our heritage. We are recipients of these men and women of God who God just powerfully poured himself through. As I'm talking about this, if if you can't quite connect, maybe it's because you don't yet have a relationship with Jesus. And if you don't, I want to give you a chance. So right there on your connect card, next step A says, today I'm making Jesus my Savior and Lord. It's, It's the first step into giving your life over wholly to him. It's the most important step. If you'd like to do that, take that pen and get ready to check it as an act of faith. In a moment, I'm gonna use some words and a prayer and you welcome. We look to God. It's not the checking or the prayer that matters. It's a heart that says to God, God, I'm a sinner. And I want you to forgive my sin. And God, I tend to lead my own life, but I want you to be the one in charge. I want you to be the leader. Now the Bible way of talking about this is making Jesus your savior, your forgiver, or your Lord, which is just another word of saying your leader. You want to do that? Check that box. Put the card in the offering bucket. At the end of the service, when it comes by, we're gonna to pray together about it. It's the most important decision you'll make. We're next step B today: I'm choosing to be baptized. Next week, we're gonna talk about the Baptists. It's gonna be fun. We're talking a little bit about baptism. We're gonna enjoy this. We're gonna sing "Just as I Am" all 42 verses. You're gonna feel just like you're in a Baptist church, baby. It's gonna be great. But some of you—I'm kidding. Some of you aren't, aren't haven't been baptized. If you need to, you know, if you haven't done that, check the box, we'll communicate with you. We'll start a conversation, all right? Here's here's next step C. Pray each day this week, God help me to honor you by carving out room to serve others this holiday season. It's a prayer that's on my heart. God, I I wanna make some room to serve some others others this holiday season. I I want the work of God to come in my life so deeply that it flows out for me. And so this holiday season, everybody else is getting busy and focusing on stuff. I wanna find a way to serve some others. I want us to find a way to serve other people, all right? So check that. We'll pray about it together. I'll send you a reminder. Here's next step, D. Who would say this? Hey, Ben, I'll pray for the work of 4C India. Pastor James, 40 other pastors or so. It's gonna be some fifty uh, kids now. This movement of, of God in, in Kerala is powerful and, and God is using us to make it happen. But beyond the money we give and the encouragement, the prayer is where it's at. And so if you'll check this, we'll send you an update on what God's doing lately. You're gonna enjoy reading all about that. And the next step be, just to give you a preview of where we're going, who would say, I'll begin planning and praying about how I'm going to serve others through Four Seas Christmas Offering. In a couple weeks, we'll start talking about the way that on Christmas Eve, we're gonna take an offering and we're gonna tell you exactly where that money's gonna go. And it's gonna go to the fatherless and to the widow. It's gonna go to ministry here and ministry expansion here, near and far. And so like if money stuff's a big deal to you, I get it. I'm sorry somebody hurt your feelings about that perhaps, or maybe you don't have the information, but we're going to get beyond all of that. And as a church, we're gonna rally by giving some money to the work of God at Christmas. I'd like you to begin praying and planning on that right now. Let's pray right now about what God wants to do through our lives this week. Heavenly Father, I just wanna begin by saying, Lord, you're awesome. And I want to confess, Father, that I don't always give myself fully over to your full work in my life. But Jesus, as I've I've studied Wesley and as I've looked at how you used him and others, God, I'm feeling pulled in a new and fresh way. Not just me, God, my brothers and sisters in this room, fully available to you, fully in our lives. That's what we pray for. God, God, I join with those that are saying, Jesus, save me, wash away my sins become the leader of my life. I want to follow you. God, I pray for the work of God in Kerala, India. God, abundantly bless Pastor James. Pour resources into his lap because he's a faithful man of God. God, give him abundance. We trust you, Lord, to provide every need. And Lord, as we rally around your heart for the orphan, for the widow, for the fatherless, God, I pray that you would give us incredible stamina to stand against every attack. I pray, God, you would give us great resources to leverage for your glory and for the good of your heart in this world. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus, the strong and holy Son of God. Amen and amen.